Hello and welcome to Pod Academy. I'm Lucy Bradley. This podcast explores a musical response to the Iraq War and Guantanamo, an inquiry which was stimulated by Dr. Alan Ingram's current research project called Art and War Responses to Iraq. His research explores the way artists and art spaces in the UK have responded to the 2003 invasion and subsequent occupation. I went into the field and travelled down to the dramatic Gornish coast to meet the UK composer Graham Fitkin and talk about his Chain of Command and No Doubt, which are two of his compositions inspired by his feelings about issues related to the Iraq War and Guantanamo Bay. These pieces are part of a body of his diverse musical work which spans across genres and he has been commissioned for projects from concertos to chamber ensembles to operas and ballet. With a view of the sea from his kitchen and a cup of tea, I started by asking him about his musical influences. I suppose most of my influences would still be on the western side, but nonetheless I've studied in a little bit of Indonesian music and a tiny bit of African music. Those things have obviously influenced me in, in some form, but also by popular culture as well as classical culture. So when I listen to music, I'm not just listening to classical music. Most of my time I'm listening to other stuff, from indie pop through to much more mainstream stuff. And then when I was a kid I listened to a lot of jazz and I was very influenced by Hans Davis and Keith Jarrett and people like that. So I suppose all of these things come into the, the mix somehow. For me, one of the things which I find interesting in music generally is mathematics in some form or another. And that can be, in an Indonesian music, is very mathematical. Various composers such as Bach, Stravinsky, even Debussy actually, all worked with mathematical proportions. And I find that very endearing. And, uh, and I suppose I do use mathematical proportioning within the pieces. But it's not that I want other people to say, oh, he's using mathematical proportioning. It mm. just helps me to work my way through a piece of music and organise that particular amount of time in the best possible way for me. And what characterises your compositions in general terms and also what defines how you work as a composer? I try and keep them as abstract as possible mm. but the way that the music is presented, the way I generally present ideas must have a certain, you know, it has a certain thing about it. It's not that it's bad or good, it's just that that is me and that's presumably the, the way my music sounds. So for instance, my music generally could be described as being one thing or the other. It's either fast or it's slow. It's either loud or it's soft. Very rarely does it go from one to the other in a, in a meandering way. Sometimes mm. there will be pieces where it's both loud and soft, and in which case they will generally just oppose quite definitely between one and the, and the other. I'm more interested in contexts and putting different things in different contexts rather than growing and developing from one thing to another. So I often write for multiple groups of the same instrument, for instance, four clarinets or six pianos or four marimbas. And there are many reasons for that. So the musical one would be that I like the clarity, that just hearing the same sound and not being confused by other orchestration, I find a very liberating thing. And then you can really hear all the notes, all of what you're trying to do on that palette. So a lot of my music doesn't really fit into the mould of a lot of classical music or music which has come from that tradition because it's not a chamber ensemble. It's not necessarily a pre-existing ensemble of musicians who are likely to be together. It's not necessarily a sextet, a wind quintet, these things which are more standard and traditional groupings. It's not that I don't like those things, it's just other things have interested me more. So how do your pieces that respond to issues that are associated with contemporary conflicts, no doubt in Chain of Command are the ones that I've got in mind, how do they fit into the body of your work? 
Well, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> um, they are certainly a departure for me, but everything I do, I suppose, has a political slant anyway, whether I like it or not. Even if I'm writing the most, what I think is abstract music with no extra musical uh, influences, I can't get away from the fact that it's making some form of political statement in the sense that it might be performed in a venue which is a certain sort of venue to certain sort of people with certain sort of instruments which have a history and a tradition of certain class structures maybe all of those things come to bear on what you do but these two pieces um, I think of the ones where I've taken it a step further perhaps and well there are a few others but these are the most extreme versions of me getting involved in something which um, which is important to me I suppose the sort of uh, issues which they look at in some small way are things which I find really interesting, depressing sometimes, and just important, and so that's why I wrote those. Do you see music as a way of allowing people to engage emotionally with an issue from a musical perspective? Yeah, I suppose they may well do that. When, I, when I'm writing the music, I don't really think about what the audience is going to get out of it, though. I don't actually think about their reaction to it. I just feel the need sometimes to to do it, I suppose. I mean, I suppose I should say that from the start, most of my music I try and think of as abstract. I'm very rarely influenced by things. I might live in a lovely place in Cornwall, and people ask me, are you not influenced by the sea and, and, the, and the landscape? And on the whole, no is the answer. I'm not at all influenced by that, and I don't think my music has changed when I'm writing here or when I'm in London or when I'm somewhere else writing. I don't think that my geographical position corresponds to the changes in my musical development. But there are certain issues which I find overriding. For instance, I wrote a string quartet called Pawn, P-A-W-N. It's a very bleak piece and I wrote it because I was, I was very depressed about the state of, the, of democracy, uh, not just in this country, but generally, and how it doesn't seem to, to work the way it does, and how I thought it was a great idea, but I just didn't think it was working. There are all sorts of reasons why decisions are made um, which have nothing to do with democracy, and so I find that a very bleak thing, and so the string quartet was written out of that. There was no particular programme, if you like, in the music. There was no... Um, I can't say I referred to democracy in any way within the piece of music, but that piece of music came out of my interest at that point with how we run countries and how we run communities. What does that piece sound like? Well, um, it, <laughs> it's not really a sad piece. It is bleak in the sense that... Um, they all play every single note together. It's all in unison. It's all very rigorous. There's no sort of bending at all to anything. It's all absolutely rigid like that. From your personal perspective as a musician, do you find that music has a dimension that can convey ideas or perhaps feelings and emotion in ways that other mediums can't capture? Oh, I, I don't know that I do, really. Again, I can only say that for me, the war in Iraq and various other wars, actually, they become important in my life, and I can't not have feelings about them. It, it just is part of me, I suppose, at the time that I'm writing. So I don't put the pieces out there thinking, oh, this is going to change the world, or this is going to change somebody's perception about things. I'm interested in creating an interesting piece of art for me, fundamentally, that's how it starts. And the things which I'm interested in will be part of that, and that's the case with No Doubt and Chain of Command. So Chain of Command. Um, I wrote Chain of Command in 2008 for the percussionist Joby Burgess, who's somebody I've worked with a lot. He had this, what's called a xylo synth, 
which is set out very much like a marimba, a, a normal marimba. Each bar of which you hit with a mallet, you get a lovely wooden sound coming out of it. With the xylosynth, you can get absolutely any sound you like coming out of any particular note. So if it's an F, it doesn't necessarily need to sound like an F. It can sound like a fly dying or a biscuit being crunched or a car door. And the F sharp can sound like anything else and the G and so on and so forth. So it's like a sampling keyboard really in a sense. But there's something about watching a percussionist such as Joby perform, which I really wanted to use because he's such a dynamic performer and the way he moves is very good it's very interesting for me to think about that as a performance and also because unlike a little keyboard where you could have all these sounds you actually see these mallets come down you see somebody's arms going up and down sometimes in unison sometimes not and so there's a geographical thing and a visual thing which is quite important for the performance so I had to decide knowing that I could have any sound under the sun on any note of his xylosynth, I had to then decide what to do and I decided I just wanted to use vocal samples. I felt also there was something about humanity in it because it comes from a, a living human um, and that would be quite interesting to play with in a sort of more digital age instrument. So I then had to think about what sounds I wanted to come out and of course when you're dealing with text you're dealing with communication on another level from just straight music. It took a long time to decide exactly what I wanted to do but when I decided that the text I wanted to use I was very clear about it. I wanted to use samples from just American or just politicians actually at first and assign certain syllables, certain words to each bar of uh, the xylosynth and construct a piece just with that with nothing else apart from that. So if we take the title, Chain of Command, let's say on the F sharp we could have ch as for Chain of Command, and on the G we could have Chain, on G sharp you could have Chain of, and on A you could have Chain of Command, all from the original sample, but you're just breaking it up. If you wanted on B flat you could have C from Command, but I had to create all of these from samples. And because of the sounds which were coming out, it seemed to me that it was a piece which was going to be quite aggressive, actually. It was the way I was thinking about it and because in the way it was developing my mind. This was at the time that Abu Ghraib was in the news a lot, Guantanamo was in the news a lot, and I was being affected by my understanding of the news at the time. Um, a lot of the discussions about torture and what had gone on in various different places was, was very topical at the time. And so it did seem sort of... Um, it did seem right for me to use that and it talks about the chain of command if you like <laughs> that's it there's no narrative but it's all about that what was the process of choosing the text that you wanted i mean i listened to lots of uh, recordings of both bush and rumsfeld and i had to choose which things i wanted to put into this and I knew that I didn't really just want to make a piece which was very obviously anti-Bush or anti-Rumsfeld. That wasn't really the point of it. And you find out all sorts of things about not just yourself, but I mean, I found out that George Bush speaks in B-flat pretty much the whole time, which, <laughs> which I wasn't aware of, and he's probably not aware of either. So I had to choose my text quite carefully. I wanted it to be about this idea of torture, this idea of music within torture. I also heard that some of the inmates at Guantanamo had been subjected to 24 hours of David Gray played really loudly uh, so so music was being used as a form of torture so that sort of reflected back on the way I was thinking about the piece as well and so various little sentences little phrases and odd words and syllables which I've used in this 
At first, when you hear the piece, it's just syllables, and some people even don't realise that it's vocal sounds. It's just a very short, sharp sound. And then as the piece progresses, those little syllables become words, which you might get occasionally. You won't get the meaning through all the time, but you will occasionally find a little bit of meaning through. And then occasionally they become phrases or sentences. And as you get towards the last quarter of the piece, you will hear lots of understandable words as part of the music. The music's actually written like normal music with notes on the stage. So when Joby looks at it, he'll see an E flat and he'll play E flat. It'll come out as something entirely different. As you go further on, you might find that you, the F sharp, which went chuck from chain of command, you'll hit it and it'll say, we've set out to break the cycle of bitterness and radicalism, for instance. That's how the piece works fundamentally. Okay, G flat. If you hit a G flat, you, you'll hear Rumsfeld go, mm. Vention, Vention, which doesn't really mean anything. And then there's an A flat where he goes, Cut, Cut. And there's one which goes, Con, as well, Con. And so if you play the A flat and the G flat, Da dum, Da dum, it'll go, Convention, Convention. So there's nothing particularly sophisticated about this, I must say, but it, it does seem to work. And there are various other ones where you can play three or four notes in a row and it will create the word. And, and the reason I did that was because sometimes I wanted the word to be uttered in strict rhythm. Otherwise, I could have got the whole word onto one note. But if it's a long word, sometimes I, I would want it to fit in absolutely whatever else is going on. The bits of words that you use, they're so small that sometimes they make little or even no sense. Did that parallel or subconsciously reflect in, in a musical way how you felt while you were writing the piece? Yeah, I think that is probably part of what I was thinking. I mean, I find myself floundering around trying to understand the world at the best of times. So what it's like for anybody in there, I have no idea at all. I can only guess. I wanted it to be, as I say, this slightly aggressive, alienating piece, actually. And I think it can be alienating because it is confusing. But once you start using text, you have to admit that there is going to be some form of communication outside of the music, as well as the sound of the notes themselves. And so that was part of it, I suppose. And that became more important as I went through, thinking about the fact that this should be dislocating in many ways as a piece. And it should always be aggressive and it shouldn't let up. It should just be like that all the way through. It shouldn't start to become pretty in any way. I'm taking these from various contexts and putting them into a piece of music together so you can take anything and make a new context which is not fundamentally honest in some ways but I took these particular samples mm. from certain speeches which were made in the public domain in certain ways and I don't I feel that I've taken them and honestly reflected some of the feelings which are going on there are a few words which I actually reversed I actually took the sample and reversed it so it doesn't sound like the word so fanaticism is one word which George Bush said um, referring not to his own side, let's say. And I reversed that and also lengthened it and stretched it out a bit as well. There's also the word guard comes in quite a lot and trained. And so ultimately that becomes the phrase, the guards are trained to guard people. And then there's a phrase, adhere to the Geneva Convention, which comes through later. And one quite important one is there is a dividing line, which 
George Bush says, and he also says there's no dividing line as well, and tyranny and murder and weakness. The other thing which went on with this performance, because it was first performed by Joby and Matt Fairclough, and also had video behind it by video maker Kathy Hind. She did this wonderful video with an indistinct wall which just changed slightly all the way through, which created a quite an alienating backdrop to the whole thing. If we go on to talking about No Doubt, mm. the reason I chose the Iraq War in this particular case as a theme or a subject for this harp concerto, uh, for MIDI harp, where the harp, MIDI harp can do the same thing that the xylosynth did in Chain of Command, the reason I chose that was because of the history of the harp. The harp is, you know, we all have that idea, certainly in the West, of that harp. It's almost up there. It's somewhere up there. It's, it's generally feminine. It's often used for weddings. It's a beautiful, you know, it's got beautiful sound and it's very pretty and, and all of this sort of stuff. So for me, I thought it would be really nice to give it a really hard edge, talking about a tough subject where the harpist isn't playing lots of lovely glissandi going up and down the instrument sounding beautiful but actually having to pluck thing over and over again repetitive and quite aggressive so for me it was important to do that and so it had to be an amplified harp it had to be loud and it had to be uncompromising again and in fact it's the orchestra behind it which is the more compromising voice if you like in that piece <laughs> other people might see it slightly differently the orchestra pro provide a sort of luxuriant backdrop so sometimes what they're doing I, I feel it's less um, hard-edged 
In Chain of Command, there was nothing redeeming (laughs) at all about it. In No Doubt, which is a harp concerto, I feel that there is sometimes, there's a soul in there somewhere. There's something... Mm something which is which is lurking in the background and it's not actually the, what the harp's doing it's actually what the strings are doing on the whole but no doubt actually uses vocal samples in the same way that chain of command did but i took it somewhere else and i used mainly um american politicians again condoleezza rice colin powell i think bush and rumsfeld both featured a little bit um and it's talking about weapons of mass destruction and it's identifying many of their phrases, which said that they were under absolutely no doubt that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and using this as a fundamental reason for going to war. And for three quarters of the piece, this occurs. The piece actually starts with a harp sounding like a harp and the orchestra come in and then slowly the harp starts turning into this uh, more alienating, dislocated instrument where the strings don't reflect the sound of the harp anymore. They start reflecting and actually playing the samples, uh, the vocal samples, until the harp is almost taken over, if you like, by complete vocal samples, cutting in aggressive, rhythmic... I can doubt. 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 works for the first three quarters of the piece and then there's a moment of repose it's at that point that robin cook pipes up with his what i think is his glorious resignation speech talking about the reality of as he saw it at least of reasons for going to war listening to no doubt i really felt like it had more of a narrative um than chain of command is that fair is that a fair thing to say Um, I suppose there's much more narrative in this piece than in Chain of Command. In Chain of Command, although it's political and you can probably see what I think about it all, I don't think it's that, you know, it's still fairly abstract and I wanted to keep it fairly abstract because I think sometimes 
it makes a greater impression than than telling me exactly what you think and banging on about it all the time. And in no doubt, I thought that this piece, especially because there was an orchestra involved as well, had more potential for conversation, more potential for dialogue going on. And also, I wanted it to have, as you say, that build-up towards a point and then to actually frame Robin Cook's speech in that context after we'd had all that. But this is, yeah, you're right, this is a more narrative piece. It frames his anti-war stance against the warmongering of the previous three quarters of the piece, I'd say. Mm. But I still think the piece has got that sense, for me at least, mm. I can only really speak for me, is a sense of a sense of the bleakness of the way that democracy works. Um, there are all sorts of reasons why we go to war. There are all sorts of things which are out of, when I say our, I mean your average person's control. There are all sorts of things which we don't agree with, or even if we do agree with, we still don't know, we don't know the ins and outs. And so there's a certain sense of confusion. Um, which I think a lot of us feel about political systems. And so while democracy is really good, I also don't think that it's that we should necessarily be imposing it on other countries where it might be alien to their culture entirely. So these are other things which sort of came into my background about how I was feeling about it. Graham, I should let you get back to the composition that you're writing at the moment, but thank you so much for sharing insight into the process and the philosophy behind your work. That's a pleasure. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you.